Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. I am Haney. We're Native in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 216, recorded on January the 31st, 2022. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on nativeintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. So we kind of misplaced Simon. Yes, we did. Where is Simon? I'm very glad you asked that question. I don't know. I only know that he's not here. Let's see if he pops up somewhere again. Well, he, he does tend to do that. Uh, he is very difficult to get rid of. <laughs> so you've tried multiple times? I can neither conform nor deny. All right, let's leave it at that, I think. That would be better. He, he'll, he'll be back in, in two weeks. And in two weeks, we're going to have an interesting, hopefully interesting, or knowing, <laughs> knowing Annette, it will be interesting, uh, an interview with Annette Allen of uh, SQL Bits. So that that's is very exciting. something that I'm, I'm really looking forward to. Well, we have some new news items and we, we have uh, a few things to discuss. And I am, I'm thinking, let's start with the first small happening, like Azure falling over. Twice, in short small. order. Small, yes. So the first outage was uh, Synapse Analytics, or more specifically Synapse Analytics, the portal. You couldn't get into the Synapse workspace. Most of the Synapse stuff seemed to still work, but if you tried to do anything in Azure Data Factory or serverless, uh, the studio, well, you were shit out of luck. Or not necessarily Azure Data Factory, but, but Synapse Pipelines. Did you face that issue as well? I didn't happen to see that issue particularly, but we saw some issues with Teams calls and trying to log into places and get our Synapse deployed. <laughs> but that was the second outage. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Only the second one. Kind of like a, a dry run before we really <laughs> have Azure fall over. Yeah, it's good to dry run it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So someone let Chaos Studio out on a bit of an outing. Yeah, it does sound that way. Or maybe they need Chaos Studio. <laughs> Ooh, ouch. Not sure I should have said that. <laughs> but the, the other outage was even worse. I mean, the, the um, Synapse workspace was down for 10 or 11 hours, which is a long time and it got me thinking the the slas are for the services but not necessarily for the portal i don't know yeah. how it behaves um and one would argue that the, the services were up i.e this would not impact the sla but mm -hmm. i think also that a lot of people would have other opinions but Mm, that was not a lot of fun. I'm so happy that I was not trying to demo anything or actually mm -hmm. get any work done because that would have been difficult. Yes, I've heard of some people trying to demo things at the mm. time when this happened. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is why we never rely entirely on demos. We always record a video. Yeah. I have never done that yet. <laughs> I'll get off my soapbox now. And then we had the, the other... Uh, Azure outage, which was pretty darn serious. Did, did you read the root cause analysis? 
I didn't read the details. I just skimmed through it. Someone updated um, the the routing, which mm. in turn cascaded in a way that they were not expecting. And apparently the same command behaves differently on different hardwares. And suddenly something went haywire and... Who would have known if you start messing with BGP and the routing um, tables, you're going to bring the whole house down, which is essentially what happened. And everything was down. So, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, definitely. I think many people had different kinds of experiences that day of how things worked. But I mean, you, you know that things are bad when my father, who is 72... <laughs> have never worked in the IT industry. He calls me and goes, is this whole cloud thing really a good idea? <laughs> yeah. Seriously? Yes. Well, it seems that it affected a lot of people then. Apparently. Apparently. I didn't see that coming, but yes. And, and yes, mm -hmm. Dad, I still think cloud is a good idea. Yeah, me too. Mm. I have to say so. So uh, there have been some updates, not quite as many that one would think. Um, it's been sort of kind, kind of quiet after uh, the New Year's, but there, there have been a number of, of news items. And before I go into those, on the power side of things, there is the new Release Wave 1, which is out, which is essentially a, uh, a list of news to come, high-level news to come. So definitely go check that out. But I want to uh, want to highlight a number of Power BI stuff. And since Simon's not here, um, I get to uh, do more than I usually do. <laughs> I want to start. Are we going to talk about endpoint security? Absolutely not. <laughs> I just said that Simon is not here. I thought you were going to take over his area as well. Oh, that would be hilarious. That would be. I think we should do that one time. I still think it would be absolutely hilarious to do a 60-minute session divided into 10-minute segments where you don't know the material beforehand. You just go up on stage and you get handed something like, mm, I don't know, uh, Windows for, for phone booths or whatever. <laughs> and then you get to talk about that for, for a while. Yeah. That would be really fun. Sorry, I got you distracted. Oh, yeah, it happens. So the first thing that I want to talk about is something that I, I don't think people realize just how big this is. And that is multi-language reports in Power BI. So we all know that Microsoft does Power BI and, and Microsoft is predominantly an American company and most people using Power BI is speaking English. But the thing is, it is a tool geared toward the business, and a lot of companies are doing business in their native tongues. And having a report in a, a, um, in a translated form is huge. Mm. And it has been an absolute pain in the posterior to do previously. Like, you had to jump through through so many hoops and still you couldn't do it all the way. It's still not 100%, but it's much, much better because it, it now has a number of functions and um, tooling to do proper um, multi-language reports. And th this, again, I think this is huge 
and this is going to drive adoption in ways that I am not quite sure that Microsoft has really um, thought about. So really, really happy about that. And what inevitably happens as soon as you roll out a wonderful new uh, report, what is the first thing that people say? That's a question for you. Oh, that's a question for me. Yes. I don't know. Can I get it in Excel? Oh. Every effing <laughs> time. So th this, this has been possible. You could do um, analyze in Excel and, and use uh, pivot tables in, in, um, in Excel, connect those to, to Power BI. But now there is a preview function of connecting an Excel table to Power BI. And since mm -hmm. it's just a table, then you can do essentially anything to it that you can do in Excel. So this is a wonderful way of, of having the cake and eating it because you're giving your users access to the same data with the same governance, all those things, but still they can do whatever they want to do with the tool they want to use. So I don't think there, we will never win the war against Excel. Excel is here to stay. Yeah. So, yeah, it might as well just roll with it. So th this is really, really interesting. It's um, a public preview, but it's going to get there. I have read a lot of issues with it, just saying. So go check it out, but be aware this one has bugs. I don't think it has more bugs than anything else, but I do think it's been tested by a lot more people and who found more bugs because this, this, is, this is gold to uh, a lot of people. And speaking of gold, the dirty secrets and the thing we don't talk about and the thing we not so secretly hate as Power BI governance um, admins is the My Workspace. There are very few good things about My Workspace because it's a graveyard. If someone has a report in My Workspace and then they quit, well, Sucks to be you because you're not going to get that report out of there, period. Or you couldn't do that. Now there are a number of new features or new tooling inside of the, the portal that enables an admin to get access to my workspace, somebody else's my workspace. And you can bring stuff out of there. You can even take a deleted my workspace and add that as an app workspace. So it, it's kind of moving from this quasi special snowflake style of workspace into behaving just like any other workspace. Another thing that not a lot of people realize is that if you're sitting in a hotel room and setting up your, your Power BI tenant, well, your Power BI tenant is going to be in the same region as your hotel room, which is something that you might not realize when you go back home and you're in another region and suddenly you're moving data between the regions and you're essentially not compliant. Previously, you Oops. couldn't do anything about it, but now you can physically move the residents of that uh, workspace, which is also a great tool. That is really nice. Yeah. I am dying to see the day then we get the huge nuke button that goes, <laughs> yeah, your my workspace, it's gone. It doesn't exist. No, I'm, I'm, that is in my dreams, but we'll see if, if and when it happens. I doubt that they're going to be calling it that either. 
nuke button. Yeah, the nuke button. <laughs> and then another really cool thing that is, um, again, pointing to the fact that um, analysis services is is being subsumed by uh, Power BI is the public preview of Power BI dataset Scaleout. Scaleout behaves in many ways in the same way as with analysis services. So we can scale out to uh, replicas. So we have a synchronization between the read-write uh, connection, and then we have a number of read replicas that you can access and essentially load balance on. So if you have really heavy um, reports, now you can load balance and, and get more out of your capacity, if you will. Sure, it's going to cost you, but if you have the need, well, now you have the the power, and everybody needs the power. Make sense? It does. Cool. All and right. what about some chaos? Yeah, there hasn't been enough chaos, so <laughs> let's talk about some chaos. Why, why do you think updates. we brought you on? Oh, uh, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. Oh, you're uh-huh. already doing it, my friend. <laughs> All right, so uh, I've talked about Chaos Studio a few times, and one of the biggest drawbacks has been that you're not really able to use this in environments that do not have public endpoints. And in now this release of the newest wave of things coming into public preview, there is finally VNet injection. So meaning that you can allow this Chaos Studio to... uh, Put, put its workloads in containers in your VNet so that then they can do the testing against your resources that are, for example, uh, use private endpoints or are somehow within your virtual network and do not have public endpoints. So I think that is a really new cool feature that will help actually use this in more scenarios than before. Um, Question. You mm-hmm. said it can inject a container. Does that yes. mean that Chaos Studio is running as a container? Yes. Oh. Uh-huh. That makes sense. Yeah. So I'm not like 100% sure. It's probably like the parts that are doing the messing all things. The breaking messing. things. Okay. The messing so, and the breaking things. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Is that the technical term? Yes, that is the very technical term. Okay. Yes. And the funny thing is when I was uh, reading these news, I read that there are new faults that come with this preview. And I was thinking like, oh, you're introducing bugs as you roll out this new feature. But it means the faults that it's able to create. So keep that in mind when reading about Chaos Studio. The faults refer to the, to the damage that Chaos Studio can do. So for example... They are actually able to, for example, disable a certificate in Key Vault and see what happens. Can you recover from that kind of situation and can you catch it? Which is a really good scenario to run and see how can you recover from that kind of scenario and can you even catch it? For sure. And I mean, if, if you can't afford Chaos Studio, we can highly recommend Simon as a service because he <laughs> essentially does the same thing. That is very true. Yeah. Yeah. Ask me how I know. <laughs> or, or Simon, the DNS guy, also known oh, as Oh, yes. That works as well. Mm-hmm. If you want some DNS troubles, yeah. Simon's your guy. Exactly. And if I can toss in one more news item that wasn't on the list, I'm sorry. There is actually 
a new networking option within Azure Kubernetes Service. So there is actually like two different options of how you can set up the networking for AKS. And there is this Azure Container Network Interface option that we have been able to use beforehand. And that would assign an IP address to every single pod from a pre-reserved set of IPs on every node, or you could have also a separate subnet that is reserved for pods. But this would require you to plan your IP address space quite well ahead of time. And especially when you're doing upgrades, etc., it will require you to really have the double amount of IP addresses available for a certain period of time, etc. So we've seen in these scenarios that you might even run out of IP addresses and have issues doing up upgrades and things like that, or if you need to switch your node pools or something like that, it has been known to cause some issues. So now there is this kind of a new addition to this, which is called Azure CNI Overlay. So in that, the cluster nodes themselves are deployed into a subnet in your virtual network, where the pods, on the other hand, are assigned IP addresses from a private uh, address space that you give it that is logically different from the virtual network itself. So whereas in the previous model, you had to kind of have that address space in your VNet, now you can actually kind of separate that and handle it separately, which should give us a lot more flexibility with the networking and not get into these scenarios where we are actually in the corner suddenly like, ah, we cannot move anymore. So this is not spread out very wide yet. This is only available in certain regions in the US, so North, North Central, West Central, and East US at the moment. But I do hope that it does become available quite soon in other regions as well. So you're, you're finally abstracting away the networking aspect as well, which was something that we had to fight. Even I know that with, with yeah. Kubernetes. So you, you can spawn a gazillion pods, but you were always going to face a networking issue with that. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Huh. Glad again, I remembered e this. E even I see the, the point in this. Excellent. So I want to talk about something that th this is not essentially your wheelhouse, but I am pretty sure you have some thoughts about it. Could be. So in a day ago, yeah, it was about a day ago, uh, there was a post on Twitter by Eric Beery, and he, he talked about Last Mile BI. And that got my attention, or the Last Mile of Analytics. And he, he put it like this, but the, the, the Last Mile is the part where someone actually looks at the data and use it to make a better decision. Mm. And, and it got me thinking because I, who, everyone that I, I get access to, I, I kind of scream their head off on that IT is not its own thing. It's just a tool to make decisions and, and to help business. So for me, this is something that I, I've had in my head so long, but I've never been able to put it into words as last mile analytics. But apparently this, this is a fairly, if not established, but it's 
it's a known way of putting it. I, I started reading this, uh, this thread and I find this to be so interesting. Yeah. Why, why are we, why are we going for tooling instead of actually using the data? So I, I want to have a conversation around this. Mm-hmm. Um, why let's start with the, the, the question to you and, and see what your opinion is. Why, why is it that we tend to go for the newest, coolest tool or data ops or I don't know, dinosaur ops or, or whatever kind of ops <laughs> is cool this week. I would like that. Yeah, I thought you would. Um, in, instead of, of looking at, okay, that, that's cool, but what do we need it for? That is so interesting because even in the data ops side, like it shouldn't be about just the tools. Mm-hmm. It should be also about what you do with the tools and what do they actually enable. But I think so many times, Tools are so much easier to define. And also, on the other hand, tools are also easier to improve or change over time. Whereas when we talk about processes or how you use something, that requires humans to change, which is much more difficult. Also, I think it's harder to talk about those topics because we don't have so clear definitions. It's really easy to talk about networks and IP addresses and what links to what. Like, I love to talk about that stuff. But it's also, on the other hand, it's quite easy to hold and grasp because we have common terminology and it's very concrete. Even in Azure, where it's not that concrete, it's still quite concrete. So I think that's kind of at least the first thing that comes to my mind about this. And, you know, I'm so glad that you said exactly that because... I, I was I was going there, and you kind of went there <laughs> Sorry, straight. I hope there. No, and, and and this is perfect because what you just said is is extremely true. It's much easier to define stuff like networking. Mm-hmm. But why on earth are we not spending more time trying to define the business problem? Because this is just something that that's the way it is. We accept this as a fact. Why? I don't know. I think we shouldn't accept it as it is. <laughs> no, and, and this is where I find that as a consultant, which is the way that I, I usually work, I can come in from stage left and go, yeah, this is super cool, but what are you using it for? Mm-hmm. And I can see my clients go, because... What what do you mean using it for? And then we have a bit of a snowball fight because you uh-huh. can you can create the coolest data lake house in history, but what do you need it to do? What do you want it to do? This is an example. I need to look at the sales numbers from last week. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and argue that nope, that's not complete. Why? Do you need to look at the sales numbers? Well, I need to know how we did. I hear you. Why do you need to know how you did? Well, because. And down the rabbit hole we go. So th- this, this thinking of why are we doing something? And, and sometimes you're going to end up with, well, that's what we need from a regulatory standpoint. Fine. Then you know why you need it, and then you can take a step back, and then you know 
what you need mm-hmm. and armed with that you know where to get it hopefully and if you don't yeah. have it you can make it happen but yeah i i find so often that customers and clients they they get lost in tech well knee deep in tech <laughs> and and not really thinking about why why are we doing this what are we trying to achieve yeah exactly and i think it's just like we are not pushed to think that way because it's so easy to, just to say the first answer that comes to mind i need to see the numbers but like even when we say that i do think that behind the scenes since there is the thinking already that hey maybe i can learn something from it or or maybe i can see what we could do differently but it's much somehow even harder to word but maybe that is exactly where we should be focusing more effort to actually know why for sure one of my my previous employers the guy that was uh the office manager he used to be the cfo of a medium sized company and when he came on to the company that i was working for he said from the beginning okay we're not going to do budgets and you should have seen the faces of the people around the room what do you mean we're not going to do budgets how the heck are you? and then it just descended into chaos and he said no we imagine. don't do budgets but we want to do rolling three months. Mm. We want to keep track and we want to have a direction, but we don't want to have an arbitrary goal because Mm -hmm. a budget is essentially set in stone. Mm -hmm. And he met a lot of of, um, pushback from upper management. Him being the the way he is, he said, yeah, 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 whatever. And still he ran his uh, office the way that that he wanted to and who would have known he was quicker on the uptake when something changed in uh, mm-hmm. in the market he could pick up on it much much faster and pivot and take advantage of that and not at the end of the year go well we didn't reach our budget that was set in january which was based yeah. on i don't know before someone invaded something or we found a billion tons of gold somewhere or whatever. Things happen every week, right? So he challenged the whole notion, why should we be looking at a budget? And then we have another thing. He also completely made away with with revenue. And that is something that I ascribe to um, as well. I think revenue is a, a vanity metric. Mm. It's cool to look at, but you can't really do anything to to change. Well, you can change the 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 revenue, but you can't really um directly influence revenue. It's something that is happening indirectly. But still revenue is front and center on most of the reports. Why? What do we want to do with it? So um, yeah. One thing that came up in this thread, I guess you could call it in, in mm-hmm. Twitter, that was a comment that said because why why is this happening because it requires systemic and behavioral change and that is usually a slow effort that needs a lot of attention and care and i completely agree a lot of companies do tool hopping because of that believing it was the tech that failed them because people don't want to look introspectively and see okay what are we missing is this our fault so to speak because i i personally don't believe in the tech um Mm. silver bullet 
I do believe yeah. in the tech bullet that breaks everything instead. So many times I've seen people implement what they think is the silver bullet, and it turns out it was this quite the difference. Yeah. And that brings me to learning. We're both uh, trainers, mm. and we've both seen how the Microsoft courses and certifications have changed from focus on the tool, focus on SQL Server, mm -hmm. for instance, and pivot into um, your role as an, an Azure DBA or a, a data engineer or whatever may, may it be. That's a step in the right direction, I think, but it's still a very technical viewpoint. And, and yeah. that brings me to this, this long, long winded, I'm, I'm getting somewhere actually. And that is bringing me to the question of training. Mm. It's much easier to train people on tech stuff yeah. than it is to teach them and train them on the business aspect. I would have to agree. Well, we kind of leave learning the business side or learning any kind of soft skill. Most often we leave it to kind of people will pick it up somehow naturally. We feel like there's no structure to it. And I think it's often like this silent knowledge that we feel like there's no way to hand it over. And I do think that results in that, yes, some people will pick up something from other people and some people won't. <laughs> I think it is kind of then left to very random uh, random situations, who is able to pick up something and who is not. So in essence, it is exceedingly difficult to teach something that you don't know. Yeah. And could it be that a lot of people in businesses don't really know the business processes and, well, what they're there to do? Yeah, definitely. And I think even like uh, in in all kinds of data projects, it often feels like even if we have data people, if we talk that this is a data project, then they start to think of in terms of this is the source system, this is the database, you know, <laughs> like go into that mindset. And I don't know if it's also like a kind of a weird situation that we have gotten ourselves in data projects that it easily shifts to that mindset for everybody, even though if somebody would have the business knowledge. Yeah, I, I, I'd have to agree. And I'm, I'm talking to a customer now who they could have said, we want you to help us build a pipeline to get data from point A to point mm -hmm. B and interface this data and connect it to this data so we can get a list of whatever. They mm -hmm. didn't. They said, we have this business problem. We have this information. We have this information, and we want to cross-reference it to segment our customers. Mm -hmm. That's what we want to do. And if we do that through Excel or a piece of string or a VIX-64, it doesn't matter. We just want this to happen. And coming at it from that we, I mean, it, it sounds completely obvious. Of course you want to lead with the business decisions, but I find it so rare. Yeah. I, I wonder if it has partly to do with also the rolling of 
different people in the data world where you have business people who know the business logic. Then you have the people who build the reports. Then you have the data engineer. You have, and the list goes on and on and on. And it is kind of assumed that no, these data people are not able to grasp the entire process from the business logic down to then how do you get to the actual implementation. So I'm also wondering if if there's some like kind of we've siloed ourselves into these separate roles that only take care of one little piece of the implementation. And then of course it goes to that point where you have to talk, well, I just want the data from there to here, please implement it. Exactly. And we we try to solve that by adding more silos. Yep. Everybody's talking about personas and and being able to get into the head of a specific persona so we can figure out what kind of tooling do they need and what kind of a business mm-hmm. support do they need. But at the end of the day, it's exactly as you said, it's it's a silo. And in in um I think it's an old fighter pilot saying that the the, the guy that you see is not the guy that's gonna shoot you down. And yeah. the the issue with all these personas is that you think you have a good grasp of everything, but it's still this dirty, difficult space between the personas that we don't we don't talk about it because we don't even know it's there. And that's where yeah. I think you're, you're onto something with uh, this um, information that kind of oozes out of the walls. If you've been at a company for 10 years, you don't know quite how it happened, but through osmosis, you apparently picked up how the business process works. <laughs> and yeah, so in, in, in many ways, this gets exposed through tools like Power BI because it mm. interfaces both the, the business side of things and the technical side of things. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. And I've heard data-driven analytics for so long and there has always been, I, I, I mean, I've, I've, I've parroted it myself. Let's, let's do data-driven analytics with the premise that all the, the, the decisions you make should be based mm-hmm. off data. And that mm-hmm. I absolutely stand by. Yeah. I do not stand by to, um, of, of, of going, the, well, the data says this, ergo, we must do this. A great example of this is Netflix. They are, in, in my personal view, they've taken the whole notion of data-driven too far because they're mm-hmm. automatically looking at uh, renewing shows based off the percentage of how many people watch this through the entire show. Um, I do have a horse in the race because I really, really, really liked 1899. That was a great mm-hmm. show. Uh, by the same people that did uh, Dark. So they're um, a German couple. It is fantastic. It also requires your brain to do things that it is not used to. So <laughs> it takes some getting used to. And that's exactly what happened with, with Dark. It took a while before that series took off. And then they got, I think, the four seasons out of it. 1899 was slower on the uptake. And that's why, um, as far as I've read, the, the algorithm decided, no, let's not renew it. And that's why something that is comparatively uh, simple as Wednesday mm-hmm. Adams, Wednesday Adams is fine, but it's not a very intelligent 
um, Netflix series. But that got renewed almost instantly because it was easy to chew and easy to understand. So where I'm going with this, I think that data-driven analysis and uh, data-driven anything, it's, again, it's a great tool, but don't just go with only let the data uh, decide. It's an input, but there still needs to be a person in the loop somewhere. So don't don't fall for the fallacy of data-driven analytics being the solution to everything. Yeah, very good point. Something happened last week. It was so weird. Uh, it was Monday, Tuesday, and Friday. I have no idea where Wednesday and Thursday went last week. I'm pretty sure that huh. someone stole them. Um, yeah, could be. Yeah, yeah. But you are going to um, some some event. Well, yeah, I, I just wanted to bring this really cool thing up that in Finland, we currently have two user groups. We have the Finland Azure user group and we have Azure and Friends. And mm -hmm. I think it's really cool that in Finland, there is room for two separate Azure user groups and both of them get a lot of people attending. And on Wednesday... So I think that might be already gone. That was yesterday the when this show comes out. Comes out. Yep. So yesterday I will have been at Faug for a data panel discussion where we will talk a lot of things around data. Where and you talked? Talked. I'm sorry. Talked <laughs> about a lot of things data and have a panel discussion. Uh, I'm sorry that this comes out later. <laughs> but then uh, in will two be, weeks time. Will it be recorded? I don't think it is. Ah, uh, okay. No. But in two weeks' time, we're going to have an Azure and Friends meetup in Helsinki, Finland. If anyone listening is from there, check out if there's still room on the list. We oftentimes do get overbooked, but we'll see. Positive problem, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, just grabbing another chair or having standing room only, yeah, it works. Yeah. Exactly. So we are now at 41 days out uh, from bits, which I am, I'm super stoked. Mm -hmm. Really, really, really much so. And I have managed to convince the bits organization to give our listeners a 15% discount. So if you that use the, nice. the, the, the code knee deep, 15 so knee deep one five in one word that's going to give you 15 percent um um on good the, work the, the tickets so 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 nicely happy done and thank you sequel bits for that for sure and again uh, the next episode in in two weeks is going to be an interview with annette allen who is one of the the uh, committee members of the organizers of bits i am dying to to do that and also we'll be talking to Rob Sewell as soon as we can find um, some spot in our calendars to to talk about, again, uh, about BITS, because BITS is such an enormous event. There's so many uh, moving parts uh, when it comes to organizing it. And I think we're out of time, and I think we've managed to cover a lot today, just yeah. the two of us. I think so, too. Not endpoint management, but I think that's okay for today. I think that's absolutely fine, actually. <laughs> for for just about any 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 week, yeah. Yeah. Friends Great. don't let friends do endpoint management. True. 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 Well, in any case, thank you so much for tuning in. 
We'll be back in another two weeks. And until then, have a great time. Bye. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Need Even Tech. Need Even Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Arvidsson, Simon Binder, and Haini Hilmaninen. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at needeventech.com. 